0: This choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Returning to Eden, a field guide for the spiritual journey. Returning to Eden is a book by Heather Hamilton for people who resonate with aspects of Christianity but struggle with the coherence of its claims. After having a mystical experience that shattered her evangelical beliefs, Heather Hamilton found herself on the journey that every true spiritual seeker ultimately takes. The highest truths that set us free are hidden in places that most people are not looking. Returning to Eden re-examines the Bible stories of childhood and opens them up as symbolic maps into the inner world. Stories like Jonah and the Whale, the Parting of the Red Sea, Noah's Ark, and the Virgin Birth are illuminated with penetrating depth and intellectual integrity. Faith is no longer a white-knuckled grip on implausible beliefs, but a relaxation into a deep inner knowing. You can purchase Returning to Eden by Heather Hamilton at Amazon.com or at ReturningToEden.com.
1: If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir, it's Heretic Happy Hour. Well, hello
2: everyone, and welcome back to Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We are so glad that you have decided to join us for this episode uh, as we continue our series what is the Bible? Oh my God! Who and the uh, hell we're going to talk about uh, uh, some uh, a little bit more about the Bible today. It's such an interesting topic, uh, but let's do some introductions first. My name is Keith Childs. I am the one of your many co-hosts. I am the author of the Jesus Un series of books on deconstruction. Hey! That's right. Damn it! And uh, the recently released *Sola Mysterium*, celebrating the beautiful uncertainty of everything. And I am joined by the amazing. Shonda, Katie, December, and sometimes Matthew. Please introduce yourselves and say hello.
3: Hi, everyone. This is Katie Valentine. Uh, I am the founder of The Metaphysical Christian. I'm always thrilled to talk about the Bible. I spent a lot of money learning a lot of stuff about it that no one cares about. I get to voice that on all of you today, (laughs) so I can't wait.
1: What's up, y'all? This is December Rose. I'm so excited to be talking about the word of God or whatever we're going to call My it. My soul cries out hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> Praise him. Glory. Yeah. So anyways, I'm the author of The Church Can Go to Hell. And it really can if it don't get right quick. And I'm so excited to be talking about this topic today, whether inspired or I don't know, somebody got gas and indigestion and just tried to write a whole bunch of shit and tell us it's the word of God. But we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it.
4: My name is Shonda Ja. I'm the author of Rebels, Despots, and Saints, the Ancestors Who Free Us and the Ancestors We Need to Free. I am excited about today's subject of the, uh, sorry, about the Bible and whether it's inspired because God wrote it, I believe it, that settles it. That settles it. Yeah. Wow. Well. It was my favorite bumper sticker to hate when I was a kid. I just wanted to quote it.
2: Yes.
5: Well, yeah, I don't know about all that, but I am Matthew J. Distefano, Sometimes Matt, I am excited to be here. I am, well, let's see. I have mixed feelings about the Bible. I'm excited to be with y'all, but talking about the Bible, I got to let you in on a little secret. I don't care anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I I really don't. Katie, that's no disrespect to your scholarship. I, I love that you have that. I personally, eh. It's it's whatever. I think I've moved on, but I am excited for today's show. I'm excited to be with y'all, and I'm excited to not let Katie down. Today, I have some stone thoughts, if y'all are ready.
2: Oh, I've yes. been sad Yay. for like two weeks. So Beautiful.
5: Well, here we go. I hope it doesn't let you down. <laughs> <sighs> Black holes are such that we can't really see inside of them, right? The light doesn't escape. So we don't really know what what's going on in there. What if inside of a black hole is another universe? And inside the black holes in that universe are other universes. That would mean this universe is inside of a black hole. Inside of a universe with a bunch of other black holes that have universes. <laughs> That have a bunch of black holes that have universes. <laughs> and on and on for infinity. <sighs> Shit. <laughs> That's crazy.
3: Uh, it's, oh. Matt was the kid that would told, tell the story that the last line would be the same as the first line. And then he would start the story again when he was a kid. Uh-huh. I feel absolutely sure. He just made a Russian doll out of black holes. Uh, yes. Oh God!
2: That's the beautiful thing about Stone Thoughts is I never know when it's over. It's <laughs> it's just is it over now? No, he's still going. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's over, it's I over
5: when I when, I, when I fall asleep. Come <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: trying to keep up, and catch up. The what black hole inside the black hole inside the black hole universe that's inside the black hole. I don't know. I don't know where I'm at right now.
2: (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I love those kind of paradoxes though. That is because as, as weird as that is, I mean, like if you've been looking or if you read like the whole, like, uh, you look at any of these shows on science and they talk about quantum or black holes or, um, time and they talk about what is the nature of time and all that stuff. Like they get into that kind of like loopy, you know, stuff where it's like, Oh my gosh, man. It's just so insane. And yet mathematically, it's, I mean, it seems to be possible that that is what's going on. So who knows? Um, Crazy. I I know. (laughs) (laughs) We are inside a black hole in another universe, right? And then there's black holes in our universe that have other universes. That's right.
3: Yeah. So, um, having no direct experience with a black hole that I know of, it's fun. It is fun to think about them. And I'm reminded of uh, two things. One, there's rogue black holes. And those actually terrify me if I stop and think about it. They travel around the universe, just sucking stuff up wherever they go. Like, there could be a rogue black hole. Cosmic vacuum cleaner today. Yes. It's crazy. And some scientists have theorized that beyond the... Micro planet Pluto and all the stuff that's out there, like somewhere way, way, way out, a little bit past our solar system, there might be a micro black hole that could account for some of the um, like gravitational stuff that they observe out there. The size of an apple. Whoa!
2: Whoa. Which means I you know. can't detect it, but it's and still like stronger many... than it could suck a whole universe inside.
3: Yeah, not a whole universe. Well, maybe got well, a whole gal- oh, solar system. A whole solar system, I know. Or it could go rogue and just like come towards Earth. Mm-hmm. at any moment you never I know. know how plausible that is but if you think about all the
2: ways that life on this planet could end in a heartbeat um that's one of them right <laughs> there's also like solar flares like literally today a solar flare could could just flash out of the sun and just fl- fry us instantly and like evaporate
3: all the oceans and cook us to a crisp and that would be that would be it we have a magnetic sphere that Protects us from that. But that's an uncool thing to say, Keith. It's a really uncool thing to say. Yeah, well, I was like, yeah. thank
1: you for raining on my day. Think about yeah. I just <laughs> keep walking around, minding my own damn business, and bam, yeah. I'm a piece of bacon. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, it's fried it, to a it crisp.
2: Still,
1: it, it still could happen.
2: I mean, it, and, and there's also another way we could all die is the. Uh, we the don't want to know. We
1: don't need to know another way.
2: <laughs> there's a massive super volcano at Yellowstone, right? That oh, yeah. Could just, that's at any true. moment, wipe out at least half the life on the planet. But pretty much everybody in the United States for sure.
1: Yeah. That's serious.
3: Oh, you for real about that. I'm not kidding. Go look it Yellowstone up. Yellowstone is a huge collapsed volcano.
1: Yep. It's yeah. a super volcano. I didn't know that. But it's yes yeah. Katie,
5: that. if that happens, you're gonna have to hold this down.
3: Yeah, you'll have to run it to be the show. <laughs> yeah.
5: I'm gonna go recruiting for the two totally two former
3: this. evangelicals in Ireland. Yes. Yeah. Right. The two last former <laughs> evangelicals on the planet. Oh yeah. Do we do we feel satisfied with this line of uh, inquiry? I is do. there further to go?
5: What what a perfect introduction for our heretic of the week. For our right?
3: next. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, it is. It's true actually.
5: Oh, yeah. All right, so we got
3: sure. we got a we got a trippy heretic of the week for you this week that could talk black holes <laughs> with us all day. Yes. Uh, just all day long. Seriously, y'all will really, really love this heretic of the week. It has a brand new book out and everyone should pick it up so chill you know it's it's time to get some like iced tea sit back chill we have some chill vibes going on for the heretic of the week
6: it's the heretic of the week yeah i'm bk woodson the heretic of the week i'm a heretic because what i'm a black guy born in the last century and i've translated the bible from the hebrew so nobody understands what the heck I'm talking about.
4: Bye, Bridey That was
6: almost harmonious.
4: <laughs> PK, it is so good to have you on the show. Uh, we've known each other for years at this point. We have organized together. We have protested in the street together. We have prayed and worshiped and preached together. Uh, Want to make sure that Anyone who is listening knows that you are an incredibly gifted pastor, you are an incredibly gifted poet, and you're the author of the recently released On Choir book, Purpland, which I love to describe as Afro-utopian fiction. Um, and it is such a gift to have you with us.
6: Yeah, you forgot to say best selling but
4: that best selling yeah. oh you you were pretty high up on that list the on the very first launch day <laughs> yeah,
6: exactly. number 1 actually number-, number number 1 new release for 12 of the last 14 days nothing brand oh
4: so on top of all of that um you're just you're just a fun person to be around so BK, I wonder if you'd be willing to share with us why you might be considered a heretic.
6: Yeah, so just a little bit about my story. So um, African-American kid, bright boy, man, born in the middle of a social revolution. And I moved every day almost from the ghettos of, of Brooklyn where it was like, okay, don't go off the block you know, because you might get, you know, killed, mugged, stabbed. Right. So I went from there to the parapets of white German, you know, uh, neighborhoods where I went to school. So I I had, I was the only black kid in my class uh, from kindergarten to the eighth grade. And when I went home, you wouldn't see an Anglo face in a million people. So I've always had these two cultures that I had to deal with deeply raised on a church bench. Right. Um, I remember my Buster Brown, you guys know what Buster Brown shoes are. You probably don't even know. White Buster Brown shoes, um, reformed church of America, but always had this question. Okay. All right, God, where are you? Right. Where are you? Because I'm in this, I'm, you know, I've, I've got folk, walking down the streets, stumbling down the street, gangs walking in the middle of the street. I know my life is in danger every time I walk out the door. And then there are these wonderful German Christians, you know, where life is all wonderful and the streets are clean and the buses run on time. So, you know, okay, God, where are you in the midst of this? So I've always been in, invested in, in that conversation. And then, uh, just interrupt me if I'm talking too long. But the other thing is, As you know, I have, I have five brothers and sisters, two sisters are are gone now, died already now, but I was like the, the child before the last child. And like the first two children, like they were like, oh, mom and dad's favorites. Like, wow, we got these beautiful, wonderful kids. Let's see how we could, you know, love on them. And the last kid was like, oh, this is the last one. We're like, let's love on this last kid and give her piano lessons and everything. And I was like, is that our kid? <laughs> you, know, you know, and so, so I spend a lot of my time trying to justify my existence in the presence of my, um, uh, of my, of my, my parents and family. And that formed me. I didn't, now I didn't realize that till late in life, right? I am like, oh, that's why you're always trying to please people because your parents abandoned you, you know? So these are the things that form you, you know, and these are the things that kind of color your theology.
3: Uh, BK, take us a little bit on the theological journey. Uh, you told us a little bit about your, you know, growing up, and um, I'm starting to see a little bit maybe how that um, plays a part into Purple Lamp, which we're definitely going to talk about later on. But take us on that theological journey. Um, where are you on your in your spiritual journey now? You know, how did you get spiritually from this kid in Brooklyn to where you are now? Which I know you as a as a mystic and as a a uh, person communing with the divine all the time. Um, has that always been the case or um, is there more of a story there?
6: Oh yeah. So yeah. So I have this like Christian eclectic kind of upbringing, right? Because I went to a Lutheran parochial school, uh reformed church of America uh, in America now, um, Sunday and catechism, and then went to the Baptist and then went to the Jesus people. And then went to the Methodist right all while and then the seminary reading you know the text for myself so i i I, w- I was raised early with you know a pretty my dad was a he was a five foot six physical stature walked through the planet as if he was six five because he um he was a black dark skinned uh african American man one of the first cops you know, in, in New York city. So he had a, he had a, he had an attitude. He had an alcohol addiction. He had a a badge, a gun, and uh, could probably knock anybody out. <laughs> so, so, so I had this image of God as like my dad, dangerous, <laughs> you know, loving, you know, loving, but dangerous, right? You want to do what you want to do what God says to do cuz God is a little dangerous, you know. He loves you, but he's dangerous. And that's how I um I, that those were my first formations of God and of Christ and, you know, and 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 what you should do. And of course the the uh the Lutherans helped all that, right? And then I've grown to I've gone I've grown the, the most healthy part of my life was developing a picture of God, and I always thought of God like sitting on the throne, like everything, everybody's around. Him. Uh, this hierarchical notion of God, and but 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 recently, more recently, uh, my growth in, in God was like seeing Jesus, like laying in the grass, smoking a joint, saying hey, relax, you know? <laughs> He's he like, and I'm, I'm like running to God, running to God. Hey, you know what? This is like, you know, you know, Bush is in office and then, you know, another Bush is in office. and then Trump's in office. And, and, and Jesus is like, like, here, just take a token and say, <laughs> relax. But um, so just Jesus like kind of laying in the grass and chilling and watching the clouds. And now I'm moving toward um an image of God, you know, getting up from the the grass, chill still super chill, but like, you know, let's go let's go do something, you know? And um there's a character in the book, and I'm not gonna talk about it because you're gonna ask me about that later, but just like gets up in like and that's it's really uh uh living out of that image of, of God, no longer this, you know. Dictatorial, strong guy, but this this cool, loving person that's like aware and about ready to do something. So that that kind of answered your question.
3: Yeah, that I thank you for describing that because I know so many listeners are going to resonate with that image of God as like loving yet always you know the the Damocles sword is sort of always hovering over you with like explosive anger or punishment. Um, and longtime listeners, y'all know I don't love the sort of image of God as father or even parent all the time. So the transformation that you've had of God as father, which I think is just you know normal—we we latch onto our parents and their image uh, forms our shape of the divine when we're really young. But you've transformed that into friend,
6: right? Yeah.
3: Friend companion or maybe there's a better word but that's kind of what I uh the vibe the vibe I was getting from the yeah. um weed smoking mm-hmm. Jesus yeah. on the grass next to you which is <laughs> fabulous
6: yeah yeah no you know I, I was uh recently last couple of days I was, like thinking well could you talk of God is that cool because there's a song that uh C.C. Winans sings and calls you know God God's my friend I don't know that that's I don't know the theology of that I don't know whether I'm ready to hang with that maybe because I haven't had really good friends till Shonda came along, but, um, but, um, yeah, cool as God is coach, like coach trainer kind of like, you know, this cool, cool persona who's like there for you, like, and going to pull you, pull some of your muscles, right. You know, stretch some of your hammies, you know, so that like, and then he's going to say, okay, um, Let's do 45 seconds of this exercise. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I can do I can do this. And then 15 seconds in is like, why am I doing this? And then 30 seconds in is like, this is torture. I can't do this anymore. Stop, please. You know? So God as uh trainer coach is really cool for me now, you know? And um, yeah. You're like yeah,
3: the anti-God's, the Lord's Gym or God's Gym, you know, whatever that gym is. <laughs> you're like the, you're like. Laughing on the imagery, but
6: getting away from the toxic masculinity, it works for me. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, (laughs) wonderful. Yeah, yeah, God is God is certainly uh, uh, feminine to me, or like maybe a crossdresser. I don't know, but you know, it's like there's a really wonderful uh, soft part that's really you know good and encouraging. So I I have a trainer now, and uh, it's always fun. But he asks some things that I'm like, really. But it's, he's always, you know, wonderful. So there you have it.
4: So I feel like this kind of ties in with um, with with the book Purpland. I wonder, I wonder if you'd be willing, very briefly, to give us a sense of what the book's about. And I know that's not easy because I think <laughs> uh, your first instinct is to be like, no, just trust me, read it; it'll be great. But <laughs> Can you give us a little bit of a glimpse into uh, the story of Purpland? And then if you don't mind sharing a little bit about how your theology shaped it, because I really think while it's not an explicitly theological book, it is a profoundly theological book.
6: Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So I I, I call Purpland a a romantic utopian mystery, right? So it's romantic because I'm a hopeless romantic. I don't know. It's romantic because love stories are the best stories. It's really about, right? Love stories are I mean, we want to we want our lives to be a love story, right?
4: This is why yeah. everybody's favorite book in the Bible is Song of Solomon.
6: Yeah. Well, yeah, they don't even know what's in it, man. That's that like whoa. That's like that's hot. That you know, no, you're not old enough to read that, right? Or or you know, in, in, even in seminary, you're not old enough to understand what they're really talking about. Okay, we're do that. wait, wait. So, love story, romantic and utopian because um so I am predisposed to see things you know, in a dystopian way. I'm pretty, in in New York as I would, you know, you ride the subway, right? All my life I rode the subway and I'm like, what if somebody pushed me on this track? I mean, that's that's just how I, I you know. So uh, I live a dystopian reality. So um, I don't wanna go, I don't go to, I don't go to movies with bad endings. I don't want to read stories with bad endings you know, because life is bad enough. So I wanted a utopian story. I wanted a good story. And yet, and yet, right. There's a lot of bad stuff that's happening, right? There's We're living in like the sixth mass extinction, right? There's a lot of bad things that are happening. So, so how do you, how do you balance, how do you, how do you balance being aware of how, how bad things are without becoming sullied right so the book is really dancing with that and the the evil in the book is as i see it raw and evil it's like it's really evil and i've had circumstances and been in situation and seen and heard things to know enough that yeah there's there's some real dark stuff out there. there's i mean it's really real and evil and yet i don't want to um you know, I don't want I don't want to put images of evil in people's head, right? I don't want to do that, but I want to give them enough of like, oh yeah, it's it's bad. I don't want to go any farther into that darkness. And then mystery the the mystery part is um, I want you to turn in the page because so I remember reading uh, Tolkien, right? And like the first read of token is like, I mean, I would read and read and I'm like, I'm hungry, but I couldn't stop reading, right? <laughs> and then I'd stop, I'd put something uh on and then it started burning because I'm reading. I don't want to get up. Uh so I wanted that kind of feel. I wanted people to keep turning the pages and lose sleep because they're reading. So that's kind of it. And then the second part of your question, say that again. <laughs> That was about theology. So
4: I wanted to I wanted to ask um how how your theology contributed to shaping that book.
6: Because I am I'm grappling with this question of good and evil. How do you I spent a lot of my life uh ready for evil and I was going to respond to that with more evil right and more darkness uh and there's a there's a place in the back in the bible i think it's matthew 25 no something not 25 but some some text where it says um uh where jesus separates he said i'm gonna come back and i'm going to separate the sheep from the goats so yes yeah, so that's uh, twenty five. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it's like cool like how how would it be that it would be so easy to see good from evil like a sheep from a goat. Right. And so the the book plays with that idea that, oh, it's, it's simple to see, but people are not seeing it because they're not really looking at it. So I'm playing with that idea. And then I'm also playing with the idea or seriously involved in a couple other things. One, what would it be like if Jesus, when Jesus was a baby, what was that like? Right. How do you raise, like, how do you raise a Jesus? Right. That's crazy. And, um, um, uh, also, um, how do you deal with evil without becoming evil? Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. And the image of Jesus in that is like, uh, so I love, so one of my friends, Elise is like so much of a, like, I'm done with Christianity. I'm done with all your images. I'm done with all that. Uh, and, and so the, the, the story kind of leads you on this. Okay. There's the Jesus figure. All right. We know what's going to happen. And it's like, Oh wait, it didn't happen. (laughs) You know, I I like that. So yeah, that's, that's happening. Well,
3: and the, I, the book is on my shelf. So I'm, I'm really excited to read it. And I think Shana used a word. And I think I've read too, that it's Afrofuturist. And I'm wondering maybe we can just talk about what that is maybe for listeners who don't know, and how how your concept of race informs the book and and in, in your personal life, and uh, it was I just heard a this is so on my mind because I just heard a talk where someone was claiming that I think I am Legend and the book of Eli are Afrofuturist, and someone in the audience said these are written by white people, and just because they're just because you put a black character as the main character doesn't make it Afrofuturist. So like, what is Afrofuturism? if we can define that, or what are the categories of Afrofuturism? And I'd love to just talk about, um, kind of talk about race and spirituality for a moment, um, if that's part of the book.
6: Yeah, yeah, great. So let me not uh, posit myself as uh, someone capable of defining accurately Afrofuturism, but uh, I can't say (laughs) what I'm doing. Yes, perfect. (laughs) I I can say what I'm I'm doing, and and then talk about race, absolutely. So it's... one of the things that's um very true is, and and I was dealing with it as you we talked about, you know, heretic, thinking about being your a heretic, but I thought, like, wait a minute. I am an African-American man who has already been in every every um every input I get from the outside world says you don't belong, right? You are not a part of this. There's nothing you can do to be included in you know, polite society. And 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 as an African-American in America, we are always told if you do this, you'll be accepted. We do it and then we say, well, there's something else you have to do. And the bol- the goalpost always gets changed. So how do you take that reality or that experience and then project that into a world where it's no longer that experience? And how do you also help people understand your experience right? And go with you into the future where that is no longer the case. I think that's what I hold as um, uh, authentically Afrofuturistic. right? Uh, let's see the world from a lens of the oppressed and then imagine a world where that is no longer the case. Not only that you are not the oppressed, but there, there are no oppressors, right? How would that world look like and how do we get to it? that's that's fairly really pretty pretty much where we are, and then you know realize that okay young people um uh and I say that with great sorrow, but anyway <laughs> so i was born i was born i was born a couple of years after Emmett till and I've lived through george Floyd right george Floyd right and and so how have we progressed as a race and and there's a there's a tragic Part of my life that um, suggests, okay, you were you you were born into like Jim Crow, um, um, you know, white supremacist JK, you know, KKK stuff. You were born there, and you saw this struggle, right? And you know what the Mod Squad is, you know. You saw this. This embrace, this societal embrace of perhaps moving out of that world, and now you're living in a world where the sheets are back. Right? That's a that's a crazy thing. And so, and 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 not only that, I also believe that perhaps now that's my journey. Right? Where race and 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 reconciliation were like key, and now we're at a moment when. Uh, knock on the door, uh, we're trying to prevent the extinction of the human race, right? Knock on the door, climate change and the four-letter word called food is going to, and the lack of food is going to potentially cause the death and suffering of billions and billions of people. So now how do we put race on the forefront when everybody's trying to survive? So it, It's a it's a it's a whole nother question. So how do I how do I almost put my own identity and the identity of those I love most kind of on the back burner because now we all have to survive. And I think the answer to that is, and this is so true, even more so true perhaps for indigenous populations, right? So how do the indigenous and the oppressed, right, who have survived such tyrannies of of colonialism in the modern world how do we now begin begin to teach the way of of salvation right to those who tried to kill us <laughs> it, it's it's a crazy it's a crazy invitation you know to not only think but to live
4: I love that because I think the very first time I was introduced to the term afrofuturism was uh from i'm not gonna i'm not gonna posit who it was there because there's a lot of amazing Afrofuturists out there but somebody who ha- had been a lifelong fan of sci-fi and she as a black woman kind of had this breakthrough moment where she's like hold on a second there are black people in the future why are there none in any of the books I'm reading right um, and so this idea of recentering centering um, and, and reclaiming this uh, this way of talking about The current crisis through this lens of the future, because like that's, you know, sci-fi and futurism at its best is kind of looking, looking at what's going on right now, what the troubles we're dealing with right now are, what the uh, struggles we face right now are by placing ourselves in this imagined future. Um, And we're never going to be able to wrestle well with the problems we're in right now if the only people who are in those uh, in those books are people of privilege, right? So I feel like what you're talking about, even if you're like, ah, I'm not sure whether it's Afrofuturism. I think a lot of other people who define themselves as Afrofuturists would be like, that lives very squarely within that framework of Afrofuturism. So I really appreciate it. You also, if we have a second, and I feel like this is another way in which what you're doing is profoundly theological and also super relevant to us and to our audience um, you talked about doing writing something that's utopian most of us if we have read you know a lot a lot of this kind of genre most of it's been dystopian it's been like here's what the world is like when it has completely fallen apart how do we survive how do we navigate it you know whether that's um uh hunger games or you know any any books along those lines, they're all about this world that has completely unraveled. And you made a really intentional choice um, to use a different framework instead of a dystopian one, a one of a world that is completely um, in tatters. You chose to do something that you call utopian. Um, that also feels like a theological move. I wonder if you would mind sharing why... You did that, and uh, it connects to why you w- refused to read the Octavia Butler parable books until you had finished reading this, so that you would not be accused of plagiarism.
6: Exactly, exactly. And Octavia, I mean, we're always telling the same story. Only hers hers is dystopian and mine is utopian. So, and and uh, you know, Purple is a trilogy, and I'm like, how is this going to end up good <laughs> anyway? So uh, it's a mystery to me too. But listen, stories or story orders world, right? Story orders world. Um, I don't know how much time I got left, but I'm I'm really getting excited now. So watch out. So <clears throat> I have this book that this manuscript. It's over in the corner of my office. It's the 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 title of it is the hidden Jesus. The hidden Jesus. How America mistakes its own myth of itself with with Christianity, right? And it's, it's really an apologetic, it's this argument about, you know, uh, uh, with evangelicalism, right? And saying how they get it wrong, how they are taking really just colonialism and white supremacy and projecting it on the, on the text. And I, I, it's 90% done, it, it was done like 20 years ago and I, I threw it away, I put it down because who's gonna read that? We, we have left the age of reason I think now we are in the age of story, right? That's why alternative facts have play. That's why truth is not really important. What's important is what are the stories you believe? What are the stories you embrace? And I'll also say that um, I am of the opinion that there there is no future and there is no past. There's only the present. And our projections on the uh, future, you know, we use our, the most powerful thing on the planet is human imagination. It's powerful in destructive ways, and it can also be powerful in creative and positive ways. But we take our imagination and we throw something into the future, or we drag something from the past, but they are all playing out in our present moment, right? So, so we only have this eternal present right, so how do we how do we deal with that? How do we constructively deliberately, consciously, and communally deal with this present moment and I think um uh, story is key in that because story is this point that we or this this paradigm that kind of orients us, kind of lets us know if we're we're straying out of our lane or if we're headed in the wrong direction, and sometimes. What character or what role we are playing, as opposed to what role we perhaps should be playing, um yeah, did I answer that question? I addressed it that's I beautiful it not. <laughs> yeah.
3: dude, that blew I my mind, right
6: <laughs> really?
3: That was cool, <laughs> yes, I mean the, I mean like the the sort of mystic metaphysical part of like we're always in the present moment is you know uh, I think it's true, but that like we're living in the age of story. I love that. Like the biblical scholar part of me is like, Oh yes. Like now I don't have to try to figure out all this historical critical stuff about the Bible. Cause it's really about the story and the story that we live and is born, you know, kind of born inside of us. Um, and how does that take root? And in that, in that sense, nothing is ever archaic.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you like me love, like, so we were taught when I was taught, taught Hebrew. Uh, it was still with the German energy that if you understand the syntax, if you know the grammar, you know the revelation right so you're you're you 're parsing verbs right, and you 're trying to understand the clenchching and all this other stuff in order to get the revelation and i uh I translated enough to get to the opinion where no it 's not that at all <laughs> this is just yeah. a story. You know and it's it's more the the Hebrew Bible is more like Pilgrim's Progress than it is like some thesis some theological thesis you know the the names of the characters are part of the story it's trying to you know and it's all like don't take this too serious, but think about it <laughs> you know so that's yeah, what it's right.
3: theological soap exactly. opera
6: exactly. <laughs> yes. With all the drama. Exactly. Yes, it's all it. the drama. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's the voices that uh, that don't speak in the background that are like really the ones, you know, like, uh, it's, and you get little hints of it. Like, can you imagine, uh, you know, Couture's eyebrows? Like, oh, here he comes again. <laughs> you know, how many <laughs> kids am I going to have for this guy? Or like, um, you know. Um, Elizabeth with Zachariah coming in from the temple, you know, they get back home and, and Zachariah's like, okay, we're going to do this now. And Elizabeth's like, really? <laughs> you know, these are, these are the wonderful stories, right? You have to get into the story. You have to fall into it, right? See it from the other side, you know?
4: You're really into the stuff that happens off screen, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So listen, um, I'm going to leave it up to Matt's discretion as the producer, whether we maybe answer this question and then move it up to the front or whether we just leave it in this place. So um, that was, I guess I should have said editorial comment. Uh, BK, my experience of you, uh, has been framed in a whole bunch of ways by some of the work we've done together, uh, co-teaching a class specifically for organizers in East Oakland at Allen Temple Baptist church. And I feel like one of the things that the students loved about, um, about you as teacher was you would say stuff that they were always like, wait, are we allowed to think that way? Right? Because I think so many of us have been given a script for what's okay to believe and what's not. And what I loved was they knew you were a deeply spiritual, deeply faithful person. And the stuff you said, they were like, oh, we have not been taught that it is okay to think that. And so I want to ask you this question that we start out every interview with. What is it that you say that would make people think of you as a heretic? And I ask that question knowing that people who could hear some of the stuff you say and be like, that is heretical. When they hear it from you, that's not how they experience it. They experience it as revelatory. So I wonder uh, what some of the ideas are. And maybe I'm asking... Why you
6: get away with what you get what you get away with. I don't know that I get away with. Okay, here's 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 the one here here's one that comes to mind. Uh sin is no problem. Sin mm. as much as you can. You know, sin sin all the time. It's not that's not a problem. Only here's the proviso. Try new ones, right? <laughs> don't stick with the old ones. And to me, that's the text, right? It's not sin is not a problem it's an archery term that means you missed the mark which means Mm. that you're trying to hit the mark so keep trying to hit the mark and once you learn how to hit the mark at 50 feet move the target to 100 feet and then you'll start sinning again so keep sinning as long as you're not doing the same sin now don't get stuck in the same sin it's so boring you know (laughs) i think i think you know. i can't I say that too. I I can say that in Bible study, but I don't kind of preach it. <laughs> yeah. You know because people are like, "All right, pastor, you know, <laughs> I'm taking I'm I'm taking Deacon out for dinner. You know, no, right. no, You no, have no, a no, fifteen.
3: No, no. You also have a fifteen and fifteen year old that'll really go to town with
6: that. <laughs> right. Yeah, really. No <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I got it. Pastor said I could do this. Yeah. Why are you smoking in your bedroom? Is that a joint? Pastor said I could do this, (laughs) (laughs) but I think that's one.
3: That's awesome. Thank you so much for saying that. I love it. Well, I want to make sure that everyone can buy Purple Land because it may be spelled differently um, than our our listeners may intuit. So why don't you spell that for us, BK, so we make sure they get their correct book
6: yeah yeah purple and purple and choir edition of purple and that's the one without the mistakes right choir and only choir uh so purple is p u r p l y n n d so where you would think a a would be there's a y so purple and yeah got it cool, we'll, we'll make sure it's into the show tree. notes yeah beautiful picture of a tree on the cover and mm-hmm. um you could buy the book just for the cover and you know just no problem with that just hold on to the cover and just say one day I'll read that book right there yeah
3: Buying a book is an act of hope reading it is the act of um like activism
6: There you go <laughs> yeah. So you know uh, yes. so you know what I say so here's my here's my life metaphor from a combustion engine so uh hope is the engine of life right Without hope, you just can't live. Hope is the engine of life. Faith is its fuel, right? Just believing that not only hoping for something, but believing it might just happen. Hope is the engine of life. Faith is its fuel. Love is everything else. Love is everything else. All let love motivate everything you do. And joy is the spark. Every once in a while, you have a little joy and spark that engine, get it. Get hope moving again. So there you have a perfect Advent metaphor. <laughs> oh, it's
3: lovely. People are going to be like, hearing right? this after after Advent, but I think it works yes. all year. Yeah, all it works year long, all year. Sure, so. It works all year, yeah. Um, and BK, where can people find you? What's the best way to um, to see you and your amazing work?
6: So purpleintrilogy.com is a place. Uh, Facebook, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, you know. Go anywhere you follow Shonda. Look for her friends and I'll be there.
4: What's your hand? Do you remember what your handle is on Instagram?
6: I don't. I should. Don't. I don't. We'll, we'll look it up and we'll put it in the show notes. We'll, we'll make you. sure it's there. I am a Luddite. I have friends who know things. That's You
4: do a good I job of posting, though. Like, I'm, you've been on your game.
6: Thank you. Thank you.
3: Thank you for being here. This is so amazing.
4: It has been fabulous. Thank you so much, BK.
2: Hey,
6: thanks for having me.
4: For sure.
2: Awesome. Uh I don't think was I don't think I was there for that one, but uh I love I love myself some uh BK Woodson, wonderful man, great guy, uh w- wonderful human being. I'm so glad we got him on the BK show. Is I feel very
3: <laughs> I feel very calmed down listening to BK after the terror of black holes and solar, really solar flavors. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Random ways you could die today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> which which would be a good episode maybe sometime My to God. do. God. What are yeah, What's go, worse than the list. rapture? Random Uh-oh. waste.
1: Oh, that everybody. would be good. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
3: What is scarier yeah. than the rapture? Let's figure it out. Yeah. Oh, I love it.
1: Ten ten oh. things that are worse than getting left behind.
2: <laughs> yes. Getting killed by a super volcano or getting flash fried instantly by a solar flare or... <laughs> yes, things like that. Getting swallowed up by a sinkhole. So, uh... Well, I don't, I don't have a good transition for our topic from from that. <laughs> but uh, So BK is obviously
4: divinely inspired. Is the Bible?
2: The uh, sinkhole of the Bible. Go. Oh, yes.
4: okay. We can do that too. That yes. we'll get into.
2: Yeah. So as we're going through this, what is the Bible? Just like saying Bible like that. What is the Bible? Um, <laughs> we're talking about inspiration. So uh, there's, there's such a loaded conversation. So is the Bible inspired? What do we mean by that? Uh, if we say it is inspired, what, what does that apply? Uh, all of that. So who wants to, who wants to kick
3: us off? Well, let's, (laughs) let's talk about what that even means because I find it to be very fuzzy when people say, well, the, because this is how I usually encounter, I think this, this idea Okay, no, the Bible isn't literal. We're not saying that the Bible's literal. It's just that it's inspired by God. Um, yeah. That's usually kind of how I hear the talk about inspiration. So it's like the substitute when someone doesn't think that it's literal. But I don't know what we actually mean when we say that.
2: Yeah, well, I've, here's the thing, though. I've heard mm. it both ways, though. I've, I uh, oh. quite often will hear people say it is inspired and therefore it's literal. Oh, like, okay. because it's inspired it has to be all true and it can't be, there's nothing wrong about it. Like I literally saw a meme this, well, yesterday, I guess it was yesterday. Someone had posted and as a joke, but I mean, it was a real meme. They were sharing it though in a, in like a deconstruction group. And it was something like the Bible, the word of God is inspired. Um, and therefore, if, um, if I read anything in it that I don't agree with, um, I know that I'm wrong because the Bible, the Bible has to be right. And it's like, Oh, that's not, is that the way it works? I don't think that's the way it's supposed to work because because my my comment to that was, oh, so the sun really does go around the earth, and it's awesome it's okay to own people as property as slaves right I mean what you're telling me is the Bible's always right, and if I disagree with it, I'm wrong.
1: mm yeah, have you ever heard um someone use the term um it is like breathe, God
2: breathed. breathed, God breathed yeah, or something. Have you
1: ever heard that? Yeah, that's thing, from Second
2: Timothy three yeah. sixteen. I think that's where a lot of Christians get this idea from, right? That that's that's what gets quoted, right? All Scripture is God breathed, and therefore that means uh, it's inspired. Yeah. So I guess we should go around and say what what does that mean and what does it not mean? <laughs> At least in our opinion,
4: does that assume that we all have our variation of believing that phrase to begin with
2: i think so i mean i'm i'm assuming we may not all 100% align up with how we how we understand those terms or those ideas
4: so i think you've heard me say i think the bible is a tool for liberation and so i do actually think that um the bible points us in that direction but it's sometimes um, it's sometimes what's in between the lines right and so I'm, I loved that phrase when I first heard it, that it wasn't the word of God, but it was, uh, a witness to Jesus who was the word of God. I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's exactly where I am at this point, but I found that a really helpful framing when I was younger and knew that the Bible wasn't literal because I had bumped because I had actually read it, uh, and therefore had bumped into the contradictions in it. Right. Um, and had wrestled with the fact that I worship a God who is a God of liberation, and the Bible didn't seem to flinch at enslavement, right? And so I had already yeah. kind of bumped into that early on in my life because I went to a United Church of Christ where we actually had to read the Bible twice by the time we were in junior high because wow. they didn't want us to take it li- literally and they wanted us to take it seriously. So, like I said, when I was younger, that was a really helpful framework for me. Um, and I had a pastor who talked about the fact that the four gospels conflicted with each other. Um, and he said, if all of us in this room were witness to a car crash, we would each have noticed different things. We would each report different things. We might even report contradicting things. Um, that doesn't mean the car crash didn't happen. It means that our perspective limits how much we can understand of it. Uh, and I, exactly. I had a really good pastor growing up and I still think about that, uh, on the regular and really appreciate it. That is, that doesn't mean I think that every story in the Bible happened. Um, I think that there are stories of truth versus true stories, right? There are stories with lessons for us, whether they happened or not. Um, so that's where I land. It's, I'm not even sure I would go as to as far as to say it's divinely inspired so much as it is a collection <laughs> It is a collection of writings by people who loved God and were trying to figure out what their relationship as a community was to God and I think that's really yeah.
2: important. I I love that. I think yeah that I would agree on that. Like I I would say the Bible is inspired, but I don't mean what I think most Christians mean when they say it's inspired. Like when I say it's inspired, I don't mean that everything it's in that's in the Bible is what God said or thinks or wanted. Um I I think um when I say the Bible's inspired, I don't it doesn't mean that the authors all agree on everything, because they don't, like you said, Shonda. Um it just plainly doesn't. <laughs> There's stuff like all through the Old Testament, and like you said, even the gospels. Um, you know i I think we could probably assume the author of John was aware of the existence of Mark, Matthew, and Luke, and basically had made no attempt whatsoever to harmonize anything he said. in fact, he just said he threw all of that out and said, I want to tell you a different story, totally different quotes, totally different things that happened in different orders, like all that stuff um and so, yeah, so it doesn't mean inspiration doesn't mean they agree, and it doesn't mean it doesn't get things wrong, and yet, even though I would say the Bible gets things wrong, the Bible is not. Quoting what God said or thinks, and the Bible contains contradictions and different points of view and different versions of different stories. Even though I'd say all that and affirm all that, I'd still say it's inspired. But I obviously I don't mean. What I mean is that I think, like you said, Shonda, the authors, the various authors of the of the books that are in what we call the Bible, were doing their best to communicate their experience of God, and in that sense, they were that 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 part of it's inspired.
1: I would say this. I like the I like the example of um the the gospels, right? I think Mark, like Luke John and how they're telling a story from each perspective. Like you said, if I if several people are involved or watching a car crash, right? Or have seen you're gonna have the perspective from the folks that were actually inside the vehicle, the folks that were in front of it, that are looking at it through their rearview mirror. They don't they're not seeing everything that's happening behind the car that's behind them. Right. You're going to see it from the person that was in the left lane, the person that was in the right lane and the person that was behind the car. Each one of those people are going to see a different version. Right. And it's like us. What we're getting Mm -hmm. is the evening news version. None of, we we don't. We weren't in the accident. We weren't the one on the side of the car, the left or the right. We weren't in front of the car. We weren't behind the car. We weren't walking on the sidewalk and saw what happened and stopped to be nosy. We weren't none of that. We're two thousand or however many years down the road reading it in the newspaper. And I think um, when you think about the Bible like that, it changes your perspective. To you, you. It, for me, it pulls me away from. Oh, God, this is God's word. No, this is people's words about go. God, what they thought about God, what they thought about what they went through. If these are literal stories that happened, you know, I believe some of them are, Um, it, how they thought about what they were being taught, what they were being seen, and that what they were inspired by and empowered by. And that's what I think about is it I could Early on, I would have been in the same place where Shana said, uh, God said it, that settles it. No, God didn't say that. Right. <laughs> Matthew right. said that. Mark, Paul, Luke, John, Samuel, whoever, you know, Timothy, Peter, whoever said whatever. Okay, whoever said whatever, but God didn't say it. Do I believe that it's, quote, God breathed? In so much as it points back to love, light, and liberty, yes. I think anything that points to those things is God breathed, not just the Bible. It could be the Quran. It could be the, uh, the word that I can't pronounce for the Hindu and the, all the, you know, the, the, um, it could be, yeah, it, any, any sacred or secular or present day text that points to love, light and liberty to me is God like breathed. A, as this is as a person who, who feels like God is love and love is God. So that could be anybody present gospel, secular religious, um, and in, in that's God breathed. If it empowers, encourages, enlightens and, um, lifts, then to me it's God breathed. All the rest of that bullshit. <clears throat> I think that's cultural, um, is relative to, to the era and the culture that it was written is personal. It might even be political, all that stuff. Um, so you have to, you have to eat the meat and leave the bones with some of it, but you have to be Non religious enough and open minded enough and open hearted enough to be able to eat the meat and leave the bones. Some people will eat the whole thing and choke on the bones and try to convince you to also choke with them. And I shall not do it. So, you know what I'm saying? You just got to, my mind now is like, like I said, if it's love, light, and liberty, then it's breathed by God. If it ain't, then you need to determine whether it's something you need to apply or toss in the trash
3: um yeah i don't think it's in and that's all I, yeah you know, I'll, I'll throw in my two cents um i don't think it's inspired and i'm still not clear what that term means so i'm not comfortable using it or and i don't feel the i don't feel the need to define it um i love the bible i study it professionally i write articles on it right hell i wrote a book on it i'll write more um i think it's important i struggle with it i wrestle with it i love it i don't know what inspired means and so I find that I find that when we're using that, we're trying to make it fit into this box that I'm not I don't want the box. And that's what that's what it feels like to me. So I'm not this isn't saying that anyone else's definition is wrong. I'm just not I don't I don't, I don't feel the need to give it a hall pass. Of it being like under this umbrella of inspiration, Um I think our relationship with the divine, I don't even think that's inspired. It just is what it is. Like I think, like it, it's all sacred. It's all holy. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So I think that it's not like the Bible's inspired and something else isn't. It's just all is. Yeah, yeah, um, I like that. Yeah. So I just don't like the word. The word. I just don't like. I don't. I don't think I like the word.
2: Yeah, I think we're saying the same things, but just in different ways. Because um, I, I, I affirm the ideas of what you're saying. I may not use the same language, but I affirm that idea. Like. That's why, like, for me, in my mind, the whole idea of the canon was a bad idea because I feel like what it did was suggest that everything God wanted to say or express to humanity was was said two thousand years ago, and that's it. So, like, no, uh, I think I think uh, God, the Spirit of God, speaks to people through a variety of ways: writings, songs, poetry, conversations over coffee, you know, all kind, movies. All, I mean, at least for me, that's my experience that. Um, and so i I don't want to limit it to the Bible or to a handful of books from thousands of years ago, so um yeah i I like that Katie. I agree, I think maybe it's a good idea just to step away from that kind of language like saying it's inspired because because it does it does imply some sort of specialness, right, like oh you know, well, the Bible, and it's set apart from many of these other things.
3: I'm good with specialness, I just I don't know something about the. Oh, term. There you go. Let's try. Let's try that word. <laughs> it, yeah, it's special. I can. Yes, it's special. I, I'm good with that, and I'm actually okay with canon. You know, I just I don't know what it is about the word inspired that leaves me itchy.
2: Yeah.
4: It, like, I me can't itchy. remember. We're we gonna get to talk, talk about... about the canon in another episode.
3: Probably.
2: Yeah,
3: okay. Then good. yeah, show up. Yeah. We, we can't Katie. talk about yeah. what is the Bible without yeah. talking about the canon. Let's do it. Yeah, we talked a little bit about it last time, but not not to the full extent right. that we could. We could get, yes. Um well let's talk about Second Timothy, that that gnarly, wonderful inspired verse in Second <laughs> Timothy three <3:16, laughs> sixteen. Um the one that is uh, often quoted for talking about the Bible as inspired. And does anyone have, let's see, let's, let's get a couple of different definitions. I can get the NRSV one for us. Only I have this new computer and it's not saved. Let's see. Does anyone else have a handy translation, kind of a standard translation?
4: I just wanted to clarify, your your uh,
3: computer is not saved. It's, yes. <laughs> it's unbaptized. Uh-huh. It's, um, just checking. Unbaptized yes uh so here's the nrsv uh version a translation of second timothy 316 all scripture is inspired by god and is useful for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness and there's something really fun about it being 316 it's like isn't it it's the other 316 it's the other <laughs> 316 yes yes makes me happy yeah
2: well um so i think a uh, couple of different things i I mean, when you, when you said, we talk about inspiration, like we come to a second Timothy, I'm like, I don't know that I would put that. I'm not sure I'd even put second Timothy in under the category of inspired just because uh, of several reasons. Like, um, most, well, I shouldn't say most, but many scholars don't, don't believe that Paul, the apostle Paul actually wrote, uh, first or second Timothy or Titus. Um, and I don't know. I just have a theory. I, I think the the scholars that, that want to say that Paul did write it probably do so because of 2 Timothy 3.16, because without this verse, they don't have much to hold on to to really force this idea of inerrancy and inspiration and infallibility in Scripture, because, well, it says it right there, that all Scripture is God-breathed, and therefore, you know, it, they extrapolate from this verse, that that must mean that since it's God-breathed, it can't be wrong about anything, and it, it's, it's God God said it. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, in my, in my approach to this verse, a friend of mine showed me, which just pointed out to me, that kind of blew my mind that our English translations say scripture, but it's actually the Greek word for graphis, which is quite often translated scripture. And probably many times probably should be. Um, and maybe, maybe even in this case, it should be, but I, I prefer to take the approach of, of sort of reinterpreting that verse as saying, Instead of all scripture is God breathed, to say that um, all of the God breathed writings are useful for teaching and instruction and training and righteousness. Because then that opens it up to, like, as we were saying earlier, any writing is God breathed if it contributes to those things teaching, training, you know, and righteousness and things like that. So that's how I prefer to look at that verse. I, I don't like, I, to me, that's like a clobber verse to say you can't question anything in the Bible.
1: And let me let me say this too, which might be important. But before I say that, Shonda said earlier that heard that Katie's laptop was not saved. I'm gonna say as since it's a Mac, it not only is it not saved, it's a whole uncircumcised Philistine. Philistine or however you do that, say that. That's what it the is. Lord. Just unholy altogether. But anyways, um <laughs> on this on this on this scripture, here's something that we sh- that might be interesting to think about. When was this written and what would have been considered scripture Uh at the time? I think that's important to think about because, you know, even the canonized Bible, and we're going to get into that another time, they picked picked and chose which books they were going to include in what we consider the present day Bible. So we know that there's other books that are written at other times. We know that the Ethiopian Bible has like 88 books versus the 66 books that we know um, that there's some stuff that was left out. Uh that they decided, you know, was their decision inspired by God too, To concerning which books they were going to keep and which books they were not going to keep in. Um, so I think it's important uh, to note when it says all scripture, what was all scripture? What what kind of scripture are they referring to? Are they actually referring to the Bible as we know it, which we know was um, commissioned by a king, paid for, translated by folks, and they decided which scriptures they would keep and not keep? Or which, which ones, all of them or just the ones that, you know, that were canonized after this was actually written? So I think that's important, yeah. too, that we cannot know <clears throat> which particular scriptures this scripture is referring yeah. to. Well, that's what's what fascinating we
2: is that if you were to assume that Paul or whoever wrote this meant uh, the scriptures that we later, that we now consider, quote unquote, scripture... Well, you'd have to recognize what's happening there is that, so it was at the time it was written, it's saying all scripture is God breathed, but to the the definition of what is scripture to be determined a few hundred years from now. Like, in other words, like he's saying it at the time he's saying it, but the decision of what that meant wasn't agreed upon for a long, long time. So there was a, there was a a long process Mm -hmm. of determining what was scripture what was being referred to um again that's that's my problem with the canon is that once someone had decided okay we're done this is it that process of determining is over like we we don't we're not supposed to be allowed to continue to determine what else might be considered you know Mm -hmm. god breathe or scripture or
4: whatever and so have I already told the story about uh, the conversation I had with a rabbi about how Christians interpret scripture versus Jew- Jewish people? I don't know, but right, it I'm again. going to tell it again. So <laughs> it's probably yeah. worth telling, I was in a again. Hebrew Bible class <laughs> and uh, most of us were training for the ministry. And at some point we're like, hey, we know that uh, that the church uses a lot of scriptures from the Hebrew Bible in ways that are harmful to Jewish people. We want to learn how to preach the Hebrew Bible in ways that aren't anti-Semitic. Can you help us with that? Well, the TA for that class was a rabbi who was doing his PhD at the seminary I went to. And so the professor made him meet with us, which I feel like was uh, very unfair on her part. But he sits down with us and we're like, okay, teach us everything. And he's like, I don't know where to start because I do not understand how you people read the Bible. He may not have used the phrase you people. He was classier than that. He's like, (laughs) you "You all read it as if it is contemporary literature. And he's like, Uh no Jewish person with any self-respect would engage this text without thousands of years of interpretive debate between Um, between religious leaders shaping the way we understand that text. And I think about that all the time because I think about the fact that I, you know, I may be in the minority in this group. I still consider Jesus my personal Lord and Savior. Um, And he was functioning out of that way of using the scripture where they would wrestle, they would debate. What's Mm -hmm. cool about Jesus in the temple at the age of 13 is he's engaging in that wrestling with other religious leaders. It's not, he was so holy, they were all sitting there learning from him. No, they were engaged in what religious folks did, which was wrestling with the text. And the inspiration emerged from the wrestling. Um, I'm oversimplifying when I say that, but Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's, when we engage the scripture not in those ways, I actually think we're misusing it. And I think that yeah. that stops us from connecting with yeah. what is potentially inspiring, um, or or revelatory, or sacred, or inspired about it.
2: Yeah, I wonder—is it accurate to say? Maybe I should ask some of my Jewish friends. Um, would it be accurate to say <clears throat> maybe from that from that way of thinking, from, to a Jewish Jewish person, that that part of the inspiration? aspect of scripture is drawn out in the dialogue about what's written in other words it's not just on the page in other words the inspiration continues as groups of people continue to discuss it in dialogue and debate it and you know like that th- that's where th- this is sort of an active inspiration that's, that's continuing to go on yeah. well and there's a part I mean, of me that wonders sorry, is. i
4: was i was just going to say there's a part of me that wonders if that is possibly what the author of second timothy meant. Even in the midst yes. of saying that, sorry, Katie, I didn't mean to cut yeah. you
3: off. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It's yeah. good. The, um, yeah. I mean, that's what the whole Talmud is. It's this rabbi said this, and this rabbi said yep. this, and this rabbi yep. said this, and then this, you know, and they're, they're commenting on each other. So the diet, it's all dialogical, yep. um, in the, in that way, uh, which is one thing I really appreciate. Although it's very hard to read if you're not Jewish, yes. it, it's a skill set. You really, really have to learn. You need to get a nice Jewish person to hold your hand. Um, while you learn to read the Talmud, <laughs> it's it's uh, incredibly insular um, in that way. Um, but just a little a little two cents on that word um, that gets translated as inspired or God breathed from 2 Timothy three sixteen. It is um, so in Greek it's theab um, neustos and it comes from it's a compound word so theos God and then it comes from the word um, like to it's not it, it is kind of to breathe or to blow. Yeah, like God blown might be a better translation. Um, like God whew, exhaled, I guess, um, a, a bit. It is the only occurrence in the New Testament, though there are tests, there it occurs elsewhere in Greek literature. Um, some, sometimes I think referring to like a divine oracle. So it's not like this is, it's not like it's only a Christian use to think of it in this sacred way. So if we think about it and kind of, and this is just me off the top of my head, I haven't done deep research, but if we think about it in that way, um, I've done quite a bit of research on like the Oracle at Delphi or the enslaved uh, girl in Acts 16, right? Who This word isn't used yeah. about her, but they might see, they would be seen as kind of like mouthpieces of the God.
2: Yeah.
3: Right. And so that may, it may have that kind of connotation. Um, but it's interesting because in many of the definitions, the New Testament is the one that's gotten the most play. So in many Greek dictionaries, it'll say inspired, see Second Timothy. And so it's a circular definition <laughs> yeah. that we have now um, about about it. So I, I think it's tricky um, in that way. Um, so I it, and interesting. The verb is implicit. It's not explicit here so we could say each writing or each yeah each writing is inspired and beneficial or each inspired writing is beneficial yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you know it could go either way interesting
2: uh is there a is there a, a carryover because in our english bibles um we have in english translations we have the idea in genesis that you know Man is God breathed. God God breathes life into Adam. Right, the breath of God is in the is in the life of man in the 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 soul of man. And is there is there a is there a linguistic connection?
3: Yeah, I don't think I I I, no I I I haven't looked in the Septuagint, so I wouldn't I couldn't say for sure. Um, I don't think so because the the word that's used most often for breath would be pneuma or ruach. Yeah. And that's not occurring here. So this is a very particular be kind of there. clinical there word. Go. Yeah.
2: See, but that but see, that is that in itself, Katie, is a good distinction to make because I because I think Christians want to make that. <laughs> they want to connect those things, right? Like in the same way that God breathed into Adam, he God breathed out this Bible. Um and then it gives the Bible again this sort of uh gravitas, you know, as this creation of God, as if God created it.
1: One thing you said too that's uh, there's a distinction <clears throat> that can be made. Uh, just a moment ago, you said, uh, given how it's translated, it could be all scripture inspired by God or all scripture that is. Inspired or all of the by God-breathed God, writings, which, which again
2: begs the question: What are the God-breathed writings? Right. So I would say any writing mm-hmm. that is useful for training and instruction of righteousness. Right. It sort of it it, it opens the uh, definition up to anything that does that.
1: Yeah. And if we here's the thing too, and I know this gonna sound crazy to somebody, but if you believe <clears throat> um like you said, human beings are God breathed, yeah. right? Um if you believe all human life is God breathed, and you say, Well, it's infallible in Aaron or the case, but you apply that to everything that's God breathed, it doesn't make sense right. because God breathed life into Gandhi, God breathed life into Hitler too. Uh-huh. So if you apply that to everything, then it doesn't make any sense. Right. <clears throat> right? So it's like, okay, it exists, but and maybe it exists because we were created by God and it exists because God gave us life, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the source of it, yeah, um, or what it has become or what it is doing is also God. You know, every <clears throat> for every wicked thing that is being done. Over the course of the history of the world as we know it up until today, it has been done at, at the hands of mankind and all mankind is also God breathed, yeah. but it is not perfect. Yeah. And so neither is the Bible. Yeah. I think, see, this is the thing
2: too, is like, we have to remind everybody <laughs> listening to this, if we, if, you, if you're not sure, there is nowhere, nothing in the Bible ever says that the Bible is infallible or inerrant right? This is something that has been added much later. And I think actually, right, historically, doesn't this basically not show up until we get around the time of the uh, the Protestant Reformation, right? It's because suddenly the Protestants feel the need to elevate the, the scripture to this high level because they broke in with the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church has tradition and, you know, the, the assumed, you know, succession of popes and all this other authority, the mystics and all this stuff. And, Protestants pretty much only have the Bible, so the Bible gets elevated to this to this. Yeah, I still don't know that they
4: treat it as literal, though. I I think that's an important distinction because some of us, when we say inspired, mean instead of literal, and some of us mean inspired, which means literal. Uh, And so, I want to be really clear on the the literal reading the Bible literally is you all are more scholarly on this, but I've, I'm a little bit of a scholar of the religious right. The way we use it today really, as I understand it, emerged in the 1930s, right? With the fundamentalist movement. Um, so I, I want to acknowledge that uh, in particular. Um, so yes, uh, definitely the Reformation led to sola scriptura, the Bible above all, um, but uh is this a drinking game? Is uh, do we have to have to take no. a shot every oh, time no, no. somebody says "sola scriptura" or something? No, you're doing great. Okay, uh, just <laughs> no, so the listen listeners Calvin, know, Matt then and we Keith turned it them. into a
3: drinking game. Yeah,
4: Matt and Keith just gave right. each other a virtual high five. Um, so, yeah, I think that that, that is the case. But <laughs> even then, they weren't using it literally. I think it's important to acknowledge that.
3: Um, I just did a tiny bit of like research. It is not the same word used in Genesis two seven in the Septuagint. Okay. Um, it is a okay. different word, um, and okay. I don't know the origin of that word at all. So I'm going to leave that at that and let everyone go do their their own homework. But you know, so like Keith just I really like the idea of like this kind of like elevation of Second Timothy three sixteen. But Second Timothy is a horrific little book, and yes, I'm not sure I want to elevate. This Thank
4: story. you for saying that. It is horrifying.
3: Sure. It is yes, just a that's horrible that's little book. Not it's not an that. inspired little book, little little letter, the horrific little thing that it is. Probably some good elements in it, but the um. Uh, yes, yes well, I'm sure. Like, I feel like a lot of people struggle with don't God know in it. getting it. Yes, do tell. You know, do like tell. something, someone's struggling with God and getting a bunch of shit wrong and writing it down as if it's like inspired, infallible, whatever. Um. So yes, depicting someone's struggle with God and their trauma. That's I'm sure, but with this. With this, I think with this, it, it, this it kind of illuminates like different ways. I think to do interpretation, right? If I'm trying to say what did this author mean, I don't think this author meant. Yeah, every writing's inspired. Yeah, we're all inspired. Like I think this author meant the Old Testament is inspired, <laughs> and the yeah. the things that they already thought were canon, like the four Gospels. Um, I think that's probably what the author meant. But I like being able to sort of take um, what this horrific little author meant uh may 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 have thought in the original context and then doing something new with it right and like that that's kind of what the conversation is all about so like this still can still have value apart from the horror
4: i love that and i think that we've given everybody homework who hasn't read second timothy anytime recently to read it and ask yourself is this inspired in the way that i thought i meant the word yeah. the word inspired I, you know, my my final thought on this is um, United Church of Christ, and I keep repping them in this episode. That's not actually the denomination I'm from, but they have a, a saying, don't put a period where God placed a comma. Um, God, this, yeah. The God is still speaking campaign, right? And I think there's something about that that invites us to recognize where divine inspiration shows up. So one of my favorite sacred texts is Gitanjali by Rabindranath Tagore. Um, One of my favorite sacred texts is pretty much anything that Miles Davis recorded, Um, you know, and I think it's important to pay attention to what all of the things that we can uh, all of the things that we can recognize as inspired and inspiring in our lives, um, which I do think includes the the scriptures, um, but is not exclusive to them. And there's this one
1: thing I love that, too that you said the most, uh, Davidson, it's anything, anything could be inspired, right? Anything could be inspired. You could watch something on TV hear something on the radio and be like, I'm going to go walk for a walk today. I was inspired by it. You know, anything could be considered inspired, whatever's some force coming, some external force that, you know, that encourage you to do something, say something, write something. But I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, just make a note of something real quick. Um, in the scripture that I saw that I think is interesting concerning whether or not something is in quote inspired by God, excuse me. In, um, in first Corinthians uh, chapter seven, Paul does something interesting Um, and he's talking to the married folks and stuff. And in verse 10, he says, and this is the NIV. He says to the married, I give this command Uh and he says, not I, but the Lord. And he goes on to say, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried. And then in verse 12, he says, to the rest, I say to this, I, not the Lord. In other words, he's saying, look, y'all, this me talking, this just me talking. And he says, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And he goes on to talk about the you believing sanctifies your unbelieving Wife, you believe in sanctify your unbelieving husband. Da 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 da. But what's what what is significant about these two verses is he says out loud, "This is me talking." This is me talking, and the fact that he says that out loud. What if everybody we would know <laughs> he cannot be the only one that put his own opinion in the quote scripture. But in this instance, he is the only one that we know of that said, hey, full stop. I just want you to know that what I'm about to say right here is my personal opinion and how I think this ought to go down. But what I said before yeah, that, yeah. that's quote inspired by the Lord. This right here is Paul. This is me, Paul. This is Paul from yeah. the hood or whatever. You know, he can't be the only one that had something to say out of himself. But as far as we know, he's the only one that made it a point to say, I just want you you know, just hold on. I just want you to know what I'm getting ready to say to y'all is from me. This this is just some wisdom. I've been around the corner a few times, been through some things. This is just me talking. This is just us talking right now. You know, what if everybody in the everybody from Genesis to Revelations had a point throughout the scripture where they said, Oh, this is me. This is my experience. This is based on what I'm doing right now. This is based on what I've been through. You can take it or leave it. Now, that thing I said before, take that. This right here, you can leave it if you want to. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just saying that because, <laughs> yes, I'm just saying that because um, if he he cannot be the only one that spoke or wrote out of him own, his own self, he's just the only one that said it. And from that, we have to conclude that not all this stuff is, quote, from God, if you believe that any of it is. Some of it is from the person who wrote it based on their personal opinion, their personal experience, their personal interpretation or misinterpretation or whatever the case. So it can't all be inspired by God. But whatever you can use, use it, whatever you want to keep keeping, whatever you want to discard, discard. Um, but he cannot be the only one that broke stuff out of his own self, not
3: inspired by God. He's just like, this is from God. This is from me. He didn't say the stuff from God's inspired. This stuff from me is written either. But I am so going to walk around saying that to all my groups from now on. This is from the Lord, not me.
2: (laughs) Yeah. See, that's my problem. I
4: feel like you and a whole
3: bunch of cult leaders, Katie.
2: (laughs) (laughs) See, I I actually lost a friend uh, because I tweeted one time. Uh, I said something like, imagine the audacity of sitting down and writing a book and then calling it the word of God. You know, like, just think about that. Really? Really? Would you ever do that? And I, I, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, even like with Paul saying, you know, the Lord says, like, well, maybe, maybe, but maybe it's what you think God said. Because I think there's a lot of things that Paul says that are very culturally based that I'm sure he totally believed that this is something, of course, of course, it's obvious, isn't it? That women should not have short hair. It's so obvious, right? That women shouldn't wear pants or whatever. Like, well, maybe or like, or that men should not be Malakoy. A man should not shave, you know, like Matt, come on. You look like a woman, you shaved your face, you you know, you're Malakoy. I mean, but of course, <laughs> Paul believed it. And I think Paul would even have said, well, of course, God, <laughs> God's on my side here. When I say that it's a, it's a shame and it's like it goes against nature for a man to shave his beard and have a clean shaven face. But, but is that what God thinks? You know, like, I think we have to have insert a level of, we, yeah. ha- it's like looking at art, right? You either look at art and you go, ah, it's beautiful. It speaks to oh, me. It's amazing. Or someone else looks at it and goes, eh. Like, you know what I mean? It's a little subjective in that sense. Like, well, read it for yourself. And then we have to determine for ourselves, do we think this is God or is this Paul or John or whoever, you know?
1: I love that. I love that. And think about he's making, this is not a man. We don't know how traveled he is or anything, but he's saying a woman shouldn't cut her hair. What about all the women across the continent of Africa who is their custom to wear their hair like that short? You know, all the little girls, you know, what I'm saying or the scripture about not having tattoos. What about all the tribes and stuff that that's part of the culture to have the tattoo on their backs or arms or wherever, you know, God knew about them before you wrote that. You know what I'm saying? And so I think you just have to take, like I said, take what you want, leave what you want
3: the like, uh can't
1: all be the corinthians
3: were that. legit not listening <laughs> to paul so i think too when he comes down he's like this is from the lord it's like the what he's like i gotta get this one home because they're not gonna listen to anything else i say <laughs> right right yeah well have we settled it <laughs> well uh, if nothing else we've we've added a little more clarity i think we're like Jew- good jewish rabbis we have we have wrestled we have our keith our Shonda, our december our Katie. <laughs> Well, listen, I
1: I, I don't know about y'all, but I have enjoyed this. And if you're listening and you enjoyed it, I want you to take a moment to um, scurry on over to heretichappyhour.com and check out what we're doing. It's a little bit outdated, that website, but at some point it's going to get updated. But it's still... It still has some wonderful stuff there. Uh, the quiz, find out what kind of heretic you are. There's some books that are there that are oh, yeah. discounted. There's, I think we've got some t-shirts over there. I mean, just go on over there and see what we're doing in, over there. If you got time, make time, okay? www.heretichappyhour.com.
3: Check us out. And then read all of 2 Timothy, the whole thing. And we want you to come to our free Facebook group, which is Heresy After Hours, It's open for all heretics, and we want you to post um, the gem of inspired and maybe uninspired stuff that you find in there. No, seriously, Heresy After Hours is our Facebook group. It's for all of you. If you're not a member of there, come and join it. We have lots of really, really fantastic conversation that goes on all day, every day in Heresy After Hours.
2: Yes, and if you would like to help fund our project to uh, update our, our website and have a new updated uh, <laughs> heretichappyhour.com website, you can do so by going to heretic... Sorry, going to patreon.com slash heretichappyhour and become a donor to your favorite podcast. And that will help us get there so much faster. Um, yeah, so we, and for those of you who do support us, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Woo-hoo! It means a whole lot. You guys are the best. And, and And you also, by the way, just so you know, In addition to unlocking all kinds of amazing, cool stuff on Patreon when you become a supporter, uh, you also get access into our exclusive Heretic Happy Hour Facebook group. And we would
4: always love you to rate and review us on iTunes. It makes such a big difference. I want to share uh, one of my favorite reviews, which was on iTunes. Dude, this podcast is so great. All the hosts bring such unique perspectives to each week's conversation and beyond sometimes. And it's brilliant. Can't get enough each week, so I wanted to uh, invite every listener to see if you can outdo that review because it was pretty
2: there awesome. Yeah, I love getting those kinds of yep. reviews. It definitely oh, well, is heartwarming, right? Would, well, it's my ammunition when friends of mine saying, "How about why are you a part of this horrible podcast that, that drop f bombs?" Yeah. And, and they're like, "Fuck it, look like, at right this. this."
3: Yes, you are a that minority <laughs> opinion, sir. <laughs> <laughs>